And to not buy that up for Jesus would be like wasting something that is so incredibly valuable. And yet, bitterness can just trash all of it. And the passage we're going to be in today comes, comes to that point where you have to decide, am I going to forgive? And it's a process. I, I love, Grant, I really appreciate your honesty, I'm telling you. Because you say, well, I'm, I'm just, I'm on the front end of this. I, I'm learning how to do this. That's all of us as we work our story. Excuse me? I can go. I just got permission to preach longer. That's all. No. This is actually pretty simple. And it comes out of last night. So, so let's do it. I mean, we, we have to buy up these opportunities. And like Grant, I'm still learning in the things that I go through trial-wise. They're, t- they're shaped totally different. I have no idea how to do what he's doing and where God's putting him. I, I don't walk there. He has to find other guys and other ladies who've been through similar things, you know, and you help each other in that rigor and what you do. Now, I blew by something in the passage, and I don't want to. So I'm going to back up just a little bit since i got a couple extra minutes. Look at chapter um, where we were last night. <coughs> Get myself oriented here. Chapter 3, verse 10. And 11, it says, And you put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. So we put off the old. This is what happened in salvation. We put off the old, we put on the new. And some of us who were redeemed young, we didn't understand all that put off, put on stuff. That's what we were talking about last night, that we put to death certain things when we've put on Christ and we put on his image. Because, I mean, does bitterness go with the image of God? No way. And what comes out of bitterness? The stuff that you were supposed to put off, the anger, the slander, the things that were listed in that section. And does the image of God, I mean, would God be someone who's involved with fornication? I think not, right? And so it has to go, wait, so you've put that off, and we've put on the image of Christ. This is our substance, who we are. And there's something very important in this verse, and that's why I don't want to go by it. It says, here there is not Greek and Jew. That's how the Jews viewed the world. There was us and them. And my brother says one of the worst four-letter words is them. Because it's prejudice. Anytime we start using it. There's another one like it. It's called they. Right? These are bad four-letter words. When we separate ourselves out. He says here, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised. We already learned that. This is what Christ is our circumcision, so that's gone. There's not barbarian. Sometimes in our churches we're like, oh, those are the tattooed people. You know, I've guys at my church been redeemed out of drug situations. They have like long mullets and bald heads. And I always look at them like, do you know that you look like the bad guy in every movie? Like, when you watch movies, like, does that dawn on you? I don't know. But they come to church and our people don't go, they and uh, you know, us. They don't separate that. It's just church. How does that happen? It doesn't matter nationality, Scythian, slave, free, doesn't matter our economic status. My deacon board has had guys that make, you know, the the big old salaries and guys who are making barely enough to live on and they function in total equality and look at each other with the exact same respect. How does that happen? Because Christ is all and in all. If he's our substance, he's who we are, then there is no difference. Skin color doesn't divide us. Language can't divide us. Uh, Prestige, status, legal, illegal in the country. Every person with value. 
And, and that's a really essential thing as you walk as a church. Especially, like, let's just tell the truth, a lot of Iowa and most of Wisconsin is very Anglo only. And we can get isolated and, and just not be God's people together with people who come from different backgrounds than us. And I, I see it in our very whiteness as a group. And uh, that, our churches need to think about that. Our, t- our church is actually more diverse by way of r- racial background, skin color, and, so- and social status than our town. And I think churches should be that way. We should attract being together. Why? Because we are in Christ. No difference between us. So let that land in you. So last night, you're putting off these things. If all we do is put off, there's going to be this vacuum. And into that vacuum is going to come evil. If we don't choose to fill it with the right things. So some of you made decisions last night. The first step was the decision you made. This has to go. The second decision is what's here. We need to get dressed up. Okay, We need to put on. That's literally what it means. And, uh, and we put it on. It's an, it's an absolute command. You have to say, okay, this is what I'm doing today. And he says, do this as the elect of God. We're back to earlier stuff. He chose you. He elected you. You're holy. Remember, we're blameless without spot. You're beloved. One of my favorite words in Scripture. Um, I, it's an old word. I mean, you don't usually look at your mother and say, you are beloved. You know, it's just not something we do, right? But it's a great word because it's active. It means you're loved, you're loved, you're loved, you're loved. Don't you love the fact that God looks at you and says that? He looks at you and goes, you're my beloved, which means he loves you, 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 and it keeps going. So he says, if this is who we are, and we are, then we need to put on what? Tender mercy. No more grumpiness. No more harshness, right? This is a... A, a tender kindness to one another. You say, but they're so annoying. That's why you have to put it on. This is not natural. Okay? Tender mercy. Kindness. Kindness has a lot of shapes, right? I mean, is it ever kind to push somebody? Yeah, if they're about to get hit by a car. I mean, they don't even care if you break their arm. I mean, so kindness has a sliding scale to it, does it? has to do with what's appropriate in the moment and is going to be received as kindness by the person. It's not about what you think, but it's about the combination of the event and the person and the context. Humility. That means I put on being lower. We study James a lot at our church, especially in counseling. And I, I think when you study the Bible, one of the good things to do is to actually make a bumper sticker of what you've studied. Because if you can make a bumper sticker say by way of image or words, what you just studied, you probably have it. So I had one lady come back uh, from studying James and her counseling, and she knows I give that assignment in church from time to time. She comes back, she goes, I made a bumper sticker. And like, she's crafty, so she actually made one. I'm like, okay, you know. But all it said on it was, go lower. That has hung with me. I mean, she made the perfect bumper sticker. You want to think about being humble? Every time your pride gets challenged, which is when you're irritated, Right? I mean, we know we need humility when all of a sudden we don't like where we are, right? That's how we know we don't have it. And her, her statement has helped me keep from sin. So every time I get up to that edge, like, oh, I just don't like being treated this way. That's because I have pride. If I understand I'm a slave and that I'm lowly, I just, it just rolls by me. But I'm not always there. Take her bumper sticker. Go lower. Somebody treats you like dirt, go lower. Suffer. Take it. Go lower. 
That's humility. Meekness. That is a, a submission to God that says, okay, your way and your power. It's not about me. Long-suffering. You're going to do these things, you're going to suffer. It'd be one thing if he said, put on suffering, but he says, put on what? Yeah, that's worse. Long-suffering. In other words, it's not going away. I mean, Grant is not one day going to wake up and go, man, total flexibility. No. Every day he probably groans. Grant, I ran too many miles. I don't have what you're at. My feet hurt every morning for a number of steps. And I used to complain every morning, which is what? What is complaining? It's sin. Okay, just keep it simple. One word at a time. It's sin. And I would get up every morning like, oh, I can't, oh, it's not, not. And I only have like groaning little feet, you know. If I had Grant, I'd, I'd probably be in trouble. I'd need your help. I, I used to groan. And then I found out, wait a minute, I'm, a, I'm like fulfilling scripture. Because not by complaining, but by groaning. It's okay to groan. It's okay to acknowledge, man, this hurts. Okay, it says that in Romans. It says one day God's going to take that groaning away. Long-suffering is just groaning in a biblical way instead of complaining, dealing with the hurt. I think these things that you just see, those rapid-fire, tender mercy, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, uh, probably as you look at this, you go, okay, at least one of those needs some work. Okay, and, and especially if you're putting off the sin we talked about last night, it's going to require that these get placed in. Matter of fact, I challenge you, and it's a whole other study. Again, we're breaking things down. But you could go and say, how does my sexual deviancy fit with tender mercy? How does tender mercy being put in my life push that out? You might want to think about that. But see, when you are using sexual things improperly, whatever they are, in person, alone, I don't, I don't, it doesn't matter, you are not having a tender compassion for the person that you are looking at or functioning with improperly. It's not tender mercy, it's abuse. You're using them. You say, I love them. That is lust, not love. Love is always within the context of what is true and good. And it's not humility, because if I do that stuff, why do I do it? Because I count, and I ought to be able to have this desire. See, it's a fracture of humility. Sometimes we think, how does humility keep me from sexual sin? Well, it absolutely does if we understand how the sexual sin is the opposite of every single one of these things. Or it could be, in my case, I eat wrongly. You know, I think of food in a wrong way. That's, that's a real easy one for me. And so I have to go here and say, how's that humility? How does humility push out doing these wrong things? And you might have to do that specific to your sin. Be a really wise thing, because that's what the passage is telling us to do. And I think as we do that, there's some ways that we live out these five things. We bear with one another. Because what happens when you start practicing humility? You start realizing, my youth pastor is not humble. Doesn't that happen at first? And then as soon as you cross that line, what's happened to you? You've quit being humble. Right? Because proud is what judges. But we do. We, we go wrong places. And instead, we have to do our humility, but we have to bear with one another. You might, even by God, in some senses, be forced, because he does that. He disciplines us, and we have to be these things. And it's hard, because it seems like nobody else is having to do that. And that's where bearing with one another. And then it says, forgiving one another. There's two things in this little piece. He says, forgiving one another. And certainly, just like Ephesians, he said, even as Christ forgave you. Did Christ forgive you because you deserve it? 
Did he forgive you because you earned it? No. Matter of fact, you would never come to him and ask forgiveness if it weren't for the fact that he already forgave you ahead of time. I mean, he wiped it off and he's just waiting so the relationship can be fixed. And that's why we still ask forgiveness of God, even though our sin, in a sense, is completely covered and forgiven. We do it because it's important for us to acknowledge that and receive the forgiveness that he has stamped. Forgiveness is just an accounting term that says no debt. So when you look at someone, they owe me. They really should treat me better. We have a lot of ways we say it. It's us not forgiving. We're holding against. Grant talked about that. It's bitterness. That's what it turns into. He says forgiving one another. We're going to have to do it. And it's ongoing. We're going to have to forgive and forgive and forgive. And then secondly, he says, if anyone has a complaint against another, we're going to have to forgive. See, that's different. Forgiveness to me that is uh, when someone has sinned against me. Many people are like, they didn't ask forgiveness. I'm like, they didn't sin against you. You just don't like the way they are. That's called a complaint, right? I mean, that's like another layer. And, 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 and we complain because we don't like the way people function with us, but they haven't really sinned. I mean, they have in your little world, but they haven't really probably sinned. And he says, well, you just need to forgive that. You need to stamp that off the record, the thing that you would like to complain about, because honestly, it didn't even sin. They didn't actually do something that crosses the line. These are the things he says, above all of these things. In other words, what's going to rule everything here is to love. It's the bond of perfection. It holds all these pieces together. So, we got to get dressed up, put these things on. You need to actively pursue these things. We kill this stuff once for all last night. These things we do and we do and we do because they inform our heart so that our heart will react in right ways like this. Second, we need to be ruled, oh man, we're back to that word again, and be thankful. I mean, how many times is thankful going to show up in this little book? It kind of makes you wonder where is the Colossians a bunch of complainers, and did Paul just hit this from the positive end? It's hard to know. But he says here, let the peace of Christ rule you, which in English is really weird. Like when we do a command, it's always a person doing the command. It's always in you. You know, you do this. In this one, peace is commanded. That's weird. Like, you can't command peace. It's inanimate. You know what I mean? Like, I can command my dog, but how do I command peace? So it's kind of like we don't even think this way in our culture. But it's the idea that you're looking at peace and you're saying, peace, you will be here in my heart. That's what you're doing. And I like that because it's kind of like the opposite of being driven by emotion. It's command-oriented. It's not feeling, right? It's, it's us taking control and being orderly. And he says, let the peace of Christ. What's the peace of Christ? I have a future. And I have a mission. And even my suffering has purpose. So I'm going to take that, that I've defined my life with, the gospel, and I'm going to let it rule. Matter of fact, I'm making it rule. And my mind and my body's going to want it. My emotions are going to run, run other places. Every time they start to go there, I just say, no, this is the rule. Peace. Let me tell you, it's not natural when you're in a blender. But that's what you're doing. You're commanding peace in your life to be the boss. The peace of Christ. Not your made-up peace. We do that, you know. I, people, I do funerals for people in our community quite often in our little town. And I've heard the craziest stuff. They come in and go, we were out smoking our cigarettes. And he said, outside the funeral, I'm like, a little blue butterfly came by. So now we know George is at peace. Really? You're going to base your life on some random butterfly? I'm thinking, 
this is just bizarre. But when we don't have peace, let me tell you, you will run to all kinds of crazy things. And instead, take a hold of the peace that's so substantial and true that's in the Word of God we've been talking about and let it rule. You say, but I don't feel that way. You, you, no one feels that way. That's why you have to command it into place because it's true and bank on it. You don't, you don't just wake up and, and be good. You don't just, as someone we were talking last night, you don't just get over stuff. No, you replace and put in order this piece. And he says, when that happens, he says, and be thankful. And it's a little different here because it's commanded, but it's not like you're moving your mouth. This is not one where you express. There's plenty of other places that says give thanks. Here it says be thankful. So this is all inner stuff, right? You command peace, and then what happens? You're just sitting there, and the internal part of you is what? It's thankful. There's that rest with God that his way is right. That's a little different. Sometimes I have to give thanks for a while, like do something before I actually be something. Helps me get there. I'm going to get there, and I'll never get there without peace ruling. Last, we need to embrace the word of wisdom. Look at verse 16. It says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. That means it's just owning you, and I love richly. Don't you love, I mean, who, who wants to be rich? I'm it. I mean, like, I have so many plans if I have money. I'm telling you what. I have so many ministry things that I would love to do if the cash just rolls in. My wife calls me. A, I mean, I, I have just plan on top of plans, and I have friends that are built the same way, and, and like, who knows? And God's already been doing some things. Like, who knows what God's going to do, you know? I, I, man, and here he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you in some just ostentatious display, right? Like richly. Where like someone looks at you like, man, he just like leaks $100 bills. You know what I mean? And, and they look at you instead and say, man, he just leaks scripture. He's got so much scripture, it's just, it's just like a cloud that carries us all off. It happens that way. I, one of my kids from youth group is an athletic trainer for the Atlanta Hawks uh, basketball team. And when he was in his internship, he was in Portland. So he's a student working with the Trailblazers, and he got to know a couple Christian guys on the team. But Wes Matthews, who's not a believer, was so appreciative of my friend Scott that was working with him that he gave him a watch for Christmas. It's kind of cool, you know? You have to understand, though, Scott's like just married. they got a kid on the way. He's finishing his master's degree. He's driving to work in like a beat-up Honda. You know what I'm saying? Like waves at you when you go by. And Wes Matthews gives him a watch that's worth $8,000. Yeah, and he's working in whirlpools and ice and all this other stuff, so he don't wear that watch to work, and Wes keeps coming to the training room like, Scott, don't you like the watch I gave you? Oh, I love the watch you gave me. How come you never wear it? He goes, because it costs $8,000. And Wes is like, so? Because he had no concept, you know, when you make millions on millions, right? I mean, like, he didn't understand that it costs more than Scott's car. You, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> he just couldn't factor these things. That's what he's talking about. It's like, let the word of Christ dwell with you. It's like, yeah, $8,000 worth of the Bible. Poof. You know, it's just, it's just full in your life. I don't think we go after that. We're like, yeah, I got my devotions. I got my one little nugget. You know, I'm, I'm talking like chicken nugget, not gold nugget. You know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, I have made a commitment not to eat chicken nuggets because I raise chickens and I kill them and I know what real chicken looks like. I'm very clear, and it's not that. <laughs> but we kind of do our devotions that way, right? It's like, I got my nugget. 
And when they're cold, they're really bad, right? So by halfway through the day, you're like, uh, it kind of mattered, I think. We don't, we're not dwelling richly. You know what I mean? It's just like we're, and I'm, I'm guilty. As pastors, we can just strive so we can get up and say something. And that's, that's like chicken nugget instead of gold. We, we need to, we have to get away. We have to, we have to chop stuff out of our life that we do like so we have that richness that's talked about here. And that's why some of you are like, man, camp is so great. That's because you're living large. You know what I mean? Life is simpler, and you're having, I mean, riches dumped into you by way of counselors that love you and fellow campers who are thinking right and, and fun because God made us to enjoy all kinds of pleasures. I mean, he designed us that way, and, and we're doing it in such holy ways at camp. I love the balance around here. You know, and they just set us up, and, and we have this richness. That's why you like camp. That's why it does good things to you. And that's what he's saying here. That's what's supposed to happen. It says, and you might have to go to Summit Seekers, because I'm going to quit here, to get the next part. But it says, embrace this word of wisdom. Let it dwell richly. And how do we do that? Teaching and admonishing one another. And i got to go to Summit Seekers, because I think I probably have this wrong. But uh, sometimes I run this line together. Teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And I think the Greek does that. I also think it's possible to say it this way. You need to teach one another. It says it in Titus. The young man and the young lady both teach. You need to teach one another. You need to admonish one another, which is to say to one another, it's really hard, you're wrong. Or say it nicer. I think you might be wrong. How does your life fit with this? And let them, let them be challenged by God in Scripture. Don't judge your friend. Just put them, put them in Scripture there and say, let's, let's factor this. Is it fit? So teach and admonish. And then in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Because if I teach right and I admonish right, what are we going to do? We're going to go, yes, look what God did in our lives. Look what he is doing. And that's that singing with grace. By the word, the word grace is charis in the original. You know what Thanksgiving is? See if you can hear it. Charizomai. It's the same root idea. Um, so he says, singing with thanksgiving in your heart. It's fine to write it that way. Because why do we have thanksgiving? Because God's grace has given to us. That's almost redundant. God has graced us. And the response to that is always thanksgiving. And how does he grace us? By the word of God being taught and corrected and nurtured in us. And then what happens? Sometimes that teaching and nurturing and establishing is also in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Come to Summit Seekers, and you can get a really full, beautiful look at that. Bottom line, he says in verse 17, whatever you do, in word or deed, all in the name of the Lord Jesus. And in case you missed it in the book so far, how do we do that? Giving giving thanks. To God the Father through him. Whatever you do in word or deed. I love baseball, so like you and I have talked some more. I mean, I love baseball. And uh, you can play baseball to the glory of God. Matter of fact, I've watched some Christian guys on our team, and when they and they're they're true baseball players, and when they throw a ball correctly, whether it's from the outfield or from the pitching mound, you can just see in them like a joy. Because they are doing something that God made them to do. It's not about them. They just, they just know, God made me to do this and to enjoy this. And they're doing it for him, not themselves. They're serving their team. They're speaking truth. And, and like you, I'm looking at you. I'm encouraging you. Take the next level. Your team is looking to you. And many of you are the same place. Let that grace dwell richly and make impact. Be bold.
And it starts by just doing it in his name, for him, in your heart, and giving thanks and having that attitude on your team. If your identity is Christ, and if you're in Christ, it is, then which of these things do you need to work on? We're going to break and go and think about that in your groups so that we teach, sing, dwell, give thanks, get dressed in these things. Okay, this is what God wants. And this keeps sin from having a place to land. And that's a beautiful thing about God's plan. Thank you so much. We're going to break. Uh, let's be back here at, uh, we'll give you 